Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Ali Curry. Uh, Dr. Curry is a clinical pharmacist at a local hospital in Iowa and also is a co-owner of Elizabeth's Pharmacy on Main in Iowa. She also graduated from Drake University, again in Iowa, so she's got a lot of roots and ties to that state in the Midwest that keeps having influence on this podcast. Welcome, Allie, and thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, hey, the reason I asked you on here was because you shared a post talking about COVID and pharmacy that went pretty viral. I don't know how many thousand shares it's up to now and tons of comments, but a lot of my friends did it. It was shared in the big uh, pharmacy support staff or COVID group that's got 40,000 followers and it was shared a bunch out of there. And I thought it was really interesting with the way that you approached the topic of masks and COVID because it was almost apolitical, but it was leading it from a healthcare or pharmacy standpoint. You talked about reopening the businesses and a lot of anxiety people have around this. And I think you, you really walk that fine line perfect with pharmacists, how they can discuss it and kind of avoid the political hot button that has become mask wearing, even though we know it's recommended by the CDC and practically every governor, I think, in the United States. Can you share some of your thoughts on this with the listeners and kind of what made you share it and what you said? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Like you said, I'm born and raised in Iowa and I've been in pharmacy for gosh, quite some time now. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, with everything going on right now, that's, like at our core, pharmacies are here to help our patients. Um, and I don't think we can take a side as far as mask wearing. I feel like we need to be at the point where we would compromise because being a, a pharmacist in a hospital and seeing the patients who are ventilated, things like that, I definitely understand that it, this is very real and that we need to help protect those who are more vulnerable. But I also, being a co-owner of an independent pharmacy, I mean, I know that people want to come in and they want to get on with their normal lives and they don't feel like that they're at risk. But, you know, a lot of our patients, they really are, have lots of comorbidities and they are more at risk than they think they are. And it's probably more from a standpoint because it hasn't directly affected them, I think, is where where they kind of come from that standpoint. If I don't need to wear this, I don't need to protect it. It's not as big of a deal. And uh, I think as a pharmacist, we certainly need to see both sides of it. We need to see the high risk and that also that people, some are not high risk, but a lot of them really are. And we need to help do our part to make sure that they are, they're safe and we're protecting not only our staff, but our patients as well. Can you share uh, some of the quotes you had about like how to discuss wearing a mask or how to kind of approach it if someone comes off on, you know, extreme one side or the other, whether it's yelling at you for people in your store not wearing a mask or if it was people who were kind of yelling at you for wearing a mask. Can you kind of share that language you use? Because I think that was huge in the way that, you know, to kind of start this discussion and keep it rolling. I mean, we don't have to choose an either or proposition and fight. We can, there are other ways that we can go about this. Some examples would be that you could say, I think it might be too soon. So I will continue to shelter myself and pray, make masks and check on those who can't go out. Or we can also see the other side of it of, I for those people who say, I really need to go back to work, um, so I will do so, but I could do it carefully and try to protect myself, my family, and those around me with healthy strategies, such as wearing a mask so that we can, you know, still financially be okay, but we can still help protect each other. 
Yeah, and I think so, that I think that verbiage is huge okay. because you're presenting it as like a, hey, you know, we're doing this to help everybody. This is for a greater cause, and the explanation of that is, and the way you say that is, I think, perfect. Have you had people come in and say stuff to you at your pharmacy where you work, or have you had patients anything that you know about wearing masks? We definitely have. Um, we've had the extremes of both. While we're wearing masks in the pharmacy and we're cleaning all those high touch spaces um, every hour, you know. Um, we're definitely promoting people to do curbside pickup and just call us when they're there. Um, but we've had the people who come in and refuse to wear a mask or do hand sanitizer. And they're definitely telling us their, their frustrations with it. But I hope that um, they're seeing our side of it and that we're here to help everyone, not just them feel normal, but everyone feel normal by being able to go back out and, you know, run to the pharmacy and you know, grab the things that they need, but still feel safe doing so. Yeah, I've had that happen at my store too. In fact, I had one gentleman who came in who wasn't wearing a mask. And I think he was, I would ballpark him in his 60s if I remember correctly. And he had CHF, COPD, was overweight. So he had like almost every risk factor you can have for this. And I actually kind of, I kind of used your language there before I even read your post. I was like, hey, have you considered wearing a mask for your protection or the protection of everyone else around you? And he, he kind of went on the extreme end of it saying, I don't have to wear a mask. This is all a hoax, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I kind of left it there. But I felt like as a pharmacist, it was my duty to kind of, we ha- as we have to counsel the person holistically to kind of make that statement and just be like, hey, I just want to know I'm trying to help protect you and you can help protect yourself when it comes to this and trying to put that ability in their hands to help keep themselves and other people protected. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've done that at all, but I know that with the way you were the language, it's almost the exact same thing I used. And it was, I thought it was really good to at least start that discussion and it didn't blow up into anything terrible, like a huge political debate about wearing masks. So have you, have you had yeah, that discussions with can, people? I have had that discussion several times in and out of the pharmacy. Um, just because people know that I'm a pharmacist, they'll, they'll start those conversations with me also outside of work. Well, I don't want it to be a debate every single time. I think we can definitely go about it as a seeing both sides and compromising and making suggestions. I think is a great way to do it without mandating it. But I think pharmacists have a, are in a great position to explain why we we should be help protecting those around us and our family and and ourselves. Um, but yes, at the same time. You don't want to get your <laughs> be screened at the whole time, but you're at work as well. Yeah, it's not a place to have a political debate, but putting that that suggestion in there, I think, makes them at least think about it a little bit more. And I think pharmacy is a great way for um, well, a great way to put that in there and our staff as well. Um, just put that idea in their head that maybe I should be thinking about this a little bit more. Yeah, and obviously I'm not advocating for everyone to go out and start like a campaign to make everyone wear masks. But I mean, obviously, we think it's a good thing that we're doing that, especially working at pharmacy where we're coming with so many different people who knows what's walking in our door or who knows who we could be spreading it to. But somebody who's immunocompromised, we got to really own the pharmacological and the, you know, the, the science side of it all we can. And even in your post, you stated that you weren't an epidemiologist or an economist, but you think that this is kind of like up to us to kind of really kind of push to protect people and do the pharmacist side. We can of things. Exactly. I mean, when all of this first started, what, two and a half months ago or so, um, I'm not going to lie, I was one of those that was thinking we were blowing things way out of proportion. Um, I didn't, because you only know, and you can, you know, process what you know. So at that time, I kind of thought we were blowing this out of proportion. I mean, 
50 to 60,000 people die of the influenza every year and nobody bats an eye. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> but this, you know, this started up and uh, everyone was kind of freaking out. But then the more that we learned and how aggressive this virus was, I mean, I changed my tone on it, definitely, and thinking that we need to help protect everyone around us. Um, not to say that it go to the extreme, but I, I definitely understand and can appreciate where people might still be where I was at the beginning of we're just blowing this all out of proportion because maybe they haven't seen it. They haven't seen it directly affect someone they know or something like that. So it's harder for them to grasp the reality of how bad it could be. Yeah. And again, that's where, you know, people aren't going to know drugs the way we know drugs or understand, you know, physiology and biology the way we do. But we, it's, it's literally our job to try and convey that to them, no matter where we are in the country or what state of lockdown, quarantine, whatever we're in, and in the city, state, what have you. And I think that pharmacists are, they're in a very unique position here because I think every governor said grocery stores and pharmacies had to remain open as well as hospitals. So we pretty much had employment guaranteed. Now, at least in the beginning, we are seeing some hour cuts for major chains, even hospitals are making cuts, things like that as this progresses. But that's where I think that sometimes people might resent us a little bit because they might not be able to work or might be on a shoestring budget right now because of some things and we might not be. So I think that's why, you know, your language and how you speak about this and making sure people know that, Hey, I'm not an economist. It might not be the right choice for you to stay out of work. But at the same time, if you do go back, please do this to help protect yourself, your family and everyone else around you. Do you feel that this is a like basically part of the pharmacist oath and this should be included in some of that is to when something like a pandemic goes out like this, we really need to, have these talks and like try and do what we can to really kind of like, if you will use nudge theory to kind of remind people, Hey, good idea. Let's do this to kill protect everybody. I I definitely think it is. I mean, there's studies and, you know, they've been saying all along people see their pharmacists on an average of 16 to 17 times a year. So we are in that perfect spot to be, to help protect people, to help, like you said, nudge it along, to give them the idea and make them keep thinking about how they're affecting everyone around them and, themselves versus, you know, a lot of times they want to hear it from their doctor, but they don't see their doctor, you know, maybe a couple of times a year. And right now, maybe via telehealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That telehealth thing going is in right taking now. off. So, right. That is definitely taking off. So I think on any large scale thing, the pharmacy is definitely in the right spot to help be a frontline person and a, and a voice and a message to help protect everybody. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things here for the listeners is you started on the side of we're blowing this out of proportion. I started on the side that was very opposite of that of like, uh oh, oh crap, we need to we need to get this under you know, under control. Um, even going back to February first, I tweeted out a photo ironically, obviously, but it was kind of like a dark humor with Busta Rhymes saying Wuhan got you all in check, which is totally a millennial someone who's been in their early thirties uh joke for nineties hip hop. But <laughs> Yeah, I did it because I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is something that we really need to keep an eye on. And it, part of it just be because I have a newborn and I was a little sensitive to things like this, knowing that if this goes big, she might not be able to get the proper taken care of or she might be a high risk category since, you know, we didn't know a whole lot at that time. But I think it's interesting that we started on very different sides of this. And right now we've kind of used our profession, our knowledge to kind of center ourselves a little bit. And we're at basically the exact same point. Here we are a couple months later. So right. I, I think that really shows what our profession can do and 
what our knowledge base does and how we can reach out to large swaths of people to, to make a positive difference and to hopefully keep this low. Because the crazy thing is, is if these numbers don't get high, that means we did a good thing. It doesn't mean it's a conspiracy. <laughs> that is exactly correct. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, that <laughs> if, if we've done our place and we've done our social distancing and we've, you know, for those people who needed to shelter in place, if we did that correctly, then our numbers aren't going to go crazy and our, our hospitals aren't going to be overwhelmed. But I think because we have done a good job of that and people aren't seeing quite the numbers that they may have thought that they were going to see, that they're thinking it's no big deal. And that's quite the opposite. It means we're doing it correctly. Yeah. And, and I think in a country like America, we have a lot more liberties and rights that especially places like China, it's a lot harder to control that without breaking any number of constitutional laws for people to, you know, we, we <laughs> yeah. can't do what China does. We can't lock them in their apartments and then, you know, truly quarantine them and not let them out of their apartments like they did at some times with this. One thing that you also mentioned in the post, which you did say when we were pre-recording that these, some of these words were taken from another author, but you did tweak them to kind of fit your own perspective. Uh, you mentioned that yeah. this virus is a huge risk to those who are medically vulnerable, yet the financial vulnerability might start causing health risks for some people, whether it be food or what have you. And you really are looking forward to a vaccine that could be coming down the way for her, for herd immunity. Are you super optimistic on this or what are your kind of thoughts on the vaccine side of it? Do you think this is where we should step in and start mandating vaccinations like this or kind of what do you think? Um, honestly, I have never been one to mandate vaccines. Um, now that being said, I vaccinate my kids. I vaccinate, you know, my family. Um, I am the one who kind of does all the protocols at our pharmacy to do vaccines for everyone. So I think eventually, yes, we are on that perfect spot. But I've never been at the, in a place where I feel like I can tell everyone that they have to have it. While I strongly think that they should, it's, I know it's a tough subject and, a lot of people are on, you know, anti-vax versus pro-vax. And if he's even there, we can learn to compromise with each other. But for right now, when it's a new virus that we don't know a ton about and people who typically people who are anti-vaxxers who rely on herd immunity for their own kids and family not to get sick, that has to start somewhere. And herd immunity yeah. happens either by exposure or it happens with a vaccine. Um, I got a lot of backlash, not going to lie, on that specific part of it about herd immunity and things like that um, <laughs> with my post. Yeah. But, I mean, once it's available, and I would prefer there be a little bit of safety testing going on first. Yes, oh, yeah. I think oh, pharmacy yeah. is in a great place to, to put that forward. But I don't see that happening, honestly, and feeling comfortable with it probably for the next year or so. Um, and right now I feel like that serology testing is actually probably a, a huge thing that could be happening because if you have the antibodies to it, then you don't need the vaccine right now. But I, like any other virus, it's going to mutate and it's going to change. And I think the vaccine is going to play a huge role in the future. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more there. The, um, the anti-vax thing is obviously they're only 3% of the population, but they're as vocal as anybody for some odd reason, but they're, they're platforms. The, I do think the safety thing is a huge question. I, I, I'm betting it's going to be one that is uh, like the flu vaccine. It's inactivated and it's done through a very similar method. At least that's what I've seen have seemed to have been reading. I don't think it's going to be a live vaccine like measles. But again, I'm I'm not in Dr. Fauci's seat or or have his experience to comment on that. But just just kind of what I've Neither. seen with that. The other thing is, is is will it be a two part shot? That's something I think that could be obviously needed needs to be looked at. And the one thing that I, you mentioned with obviously the herd immunity part is 
we're seeing huge issues in some of the I forget if it's Sweden or Norway, but the Scandinavian countries where they tried that and it really wasn't working out very good for them. And the one thing I always worry about is when you read something like, you know, herd immunity with measles, measles is known to wipe out a lot of your immune um, memory cells, your immune system memory cells. And so I always wonder is, does this do that? Because we're still not sure on if the antibodies mean you're immune to it. So obviously we're in a pretty gray area right now, but I, you might, I'm, I can't wait for a vaccine for this just because I think it's going to be a complete game changer, even where we have seen the president shift when he was running, who was not very big on vaccine, saying we give too much. And now he's all hands on deck to get a vaccine out as quick as possible for this. So I think that's an interesting shift we've seen politically to kind of match where pharmacists have generally been for a long time. Right. Uh, I even wonder if, you know, those who are typically an anti-vaxxer, if you know, maybe not right away, but eventually if they will also consider getting this vaccine just because it is so brand new and they're, they're going to be at risk if they don't get some type of immunity to it. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but pharmacy will definitely be right in there on the front lines, but I'm sure. Yeah. And I know people are always going to complain about, I have to give too many vaccines, but that's a, that's a fight I'd always take all day, all the time, because it means I'm doing something to keep people safe right there and using my clinical judgment to do so. So I'm, I'm all about the vaccines here. Correct. Yep. I'm, I'm with you there. Awesome. So, Hey, before we wrap up this discussion about kind of how to address this and tackle this with talking with patients about masks and coronavirus, there's two questions I ask everybody to come on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you two, and they don't have to be COVID related, but just, I throw them at everyone. If you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? Oh, oh gosh. I think the one thing I would change about pharmacy is that we I mean, I think we're doing it. We're getting, we're shifting to more of a clinical role rather than a dispensing role. I think it's going to happen here, you know, in the next several years where, you know, we're not dispensing as much, but that we are actually working alongside doctors and we're being, you know, more of a, a clinical role and a consultant and using our knowledge to help people with comorbidities. Like, I think it's happening, but I, I wish it was here already. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that one totally and agree with you there. If there, if you could change one law about pharmacy, it could be state-specific, federal, wherever, what would it be and why? Probably the provider status. Um, I know that there's a few states out there that pharmacists do have provider status and that are able to, you know, clinically assess patients and um, with collaborative practice agreements prescribe and help treat. I wish that that was a thing everywhere. I think that that should just be part of pharmacy program in general is maybe even after so many years, just so you have some experience with it. Um, but that provider status for all pharmacists should be there so that you have the ability to have those discussions with patients and do something about it. Because, I mean, so many times where I talk to my patients who are on 20 different drugs, and we could probably get rid of a couple of them, honestly, but I don't have the power to do that. And I have the suggestion, I could make a suggestion for that. So... I just think we would could do so much more for our patients and working side by side with doctors if we were had that provider status everywhere. Yeah, that's been a that's been a common one talking point of people on this podcast for a long time. So, <laughs> um, but I think just think it just underlies the importance of it uh, for people who want to hear about provider status in a very very different context. There's a Freakonomics podcast, which is kind of one of the OGs of podcasting. They've been around for over a decade now. And on the one of the more recent ones, I think it was titled something about how to reopen an economy that came out in April. They actually had a pharmacist in there. Uh, it was Dr. Chen from one of the California schools 
And they had him highlighting provider status, pharmacy immunization, access to healthcare with pharmacists on that podcast from an economic standpoint. So kind of how we're talking, we aren't economists. There are economists who are talking about pharmacists right now. So I think that that's a that's kind of why we want to have this open conversation with us. Hey, we might not be, but we can work with them to help use some of our tools and knowledge to for public safety and better overall health for everybody. So I think that's a, a good point to your plug about provider status right there. Right. Can't agree more. All right. So, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, Allie. I appreciate it. And thanks for having an open discussion with me about this. I think that more pharmacists having this discussion like you've been trying to do and like I've been trying to do is going to be huge to help educate people. So thanks again for doing that. Thanks for sharing that post. I love seeing stuff like that go viral, especially because it was just so open and honest and from the heart. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. And um, I'm humbled, but appreciative. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. You can tell we're both from the Midwest because we always get humbled when people start bragging on us a little bit. So (laughs) exactly. Uh, Hey, Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. As always, if you can leave us a five-star review, it helps people find us and helps kind of drive this so we can have more discussions like this out front in pharmacy. So thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.